Hi guys, welcome back to the Max Spence Business Podcast. Today I have a very special guest. His name is Joel. Um, he's actually a financial uh, planner. Um, it's great having you on the show, Joel. Awesome. Thanks, Max. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, what's your uh, so? Why don't we start with a little bit of an intro about uh, who you are and sort of what business you uh, you're in? For sure. So, uh, my obviously my name is Joel Apier. Uh, I come from a small town, uh, Petawawa, a little bit outside of Ottawa. Um, and yeah, I basically work as a financial advisor for the last seven years in the Ottawa area. And just by the nature of how the career works, it kind of takes me all over the province for the most part, to be honest. Um, and yeah, basically whether it's just one-off kind of little insurance stuff uh, or investment cases. And then obviously when I kind of uh, prove my worth, it's more so actually doing like a full financial plan. So that's kind of retirement planning, major purchase planning, um, long-term investments, uh, grandkids stuff, children stuff, like kind of the whole shoot and match. And um, yeah, that's kind of more or less what I do on a, on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. That, 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 that's pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of people are going to be interested in that and, you know, the conversation we're about to have about, you know, financial planning and investing and stuff. Um, were, were your parents actually in, in the army at all? Because you grew up in Petawawa, so were you... Uh... No, very strange enough. I'm one of those weirdos that comes from Petawawa that has, like, next to no military ties. Uh, my grandfather was in the military for a brief period of time, which brought him to Petawawa. Um, where he settled down with a local gal and the rest is kind of history. <laughs> okay, nice. <laughs> and, then, and then pretty much you, you decided that you, you wanted to, you know, expand and go into, go into Ottawa or, you know, see, see some new areas. Yeah. So, yeah, the quick little kind of, I guess, commercial pitch about what I kind of got into is um, on both sides of my family, kind of there was like some small business on like my grandparents owned a, um, owned a restaurant, then they transitioned into owning like before the Walmarts and Zellers and stuff kind of took over like small businesses and communities they ran like a cooking shop but it was just completely theirs um my dad ran a little like ski shop my cousin uh he ran a bunch of different businesses so I actually ran a small business when I was must have been 15 because I still have to get my parents to drive me places <laughs> um so from an early age I kind of was had that business kind of bug of being in business on my own and I liked it um, and yeah, just based on kind of where my interests were as I got older, um, I got my business degree at Carleton. I knew I wanted to get to Ottawa and to basically, no matter what career path I was in, I knew I kind of was probably going to get away from Petawawa and that's kind of what brought me to Ottawa. And I've kind of been now 10, 11 years in Ottawa and, uh, kind of didn't look back. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So, uh, what actually made you, uh, get into, so were, were you always interested in sort of the business side of, uh, well, you know, the business industry or what, were you interested in other stuff or has it always sort of been, um, you know, finances? Uh, well, like I'm a big sports guy too. So kind of that competitive nature of kind of the, the living and dying by your own, like success or failures was something that was always attractive to me because, um, no matter what I've done in life, my work ethic has always been the thing I've myself on I can kind of with some of the things I've done in the past I say my skills weren't necessarily there but if I worked my uh my you know what off I'd usually get to where I wanted to go so that's the biggest like obstacle to a career like in the financial services is basically like you're on commission if you do like the independent side or you go like the full banking side where you're kind of committing to like the nine to five kind of promotional like 
getting up the company ladder. Um, so yeah, that kind of was something that really intrigued me when I was getting closer to done my degree. And then I did a few co-ops when I got my business degree. So even when I was still in high school, I did like kind of summer interns of being like a, a business admin co-op. And again, being in Petawawa, Pembroke, where government's a huge driver of the, of like the workforce. And then going to Ottawa, where obviously the federal government is where basically everyone works. It just wasn't the pace for me. I just was going kind of stir crazy, just being a, whether it's undiagnosed ADD or something, it's like <laughs> just that lack of kind of like being like, okay, we got to get this done. And there's like an incentive to get it done earlier. Whereas kind of with the government pace, nothing against it. It's just like, okay, we need this done in three weeks. And it's like, whether we do it in a week or three weeks, it's like, there's no real incentive. Whereas again, just my nature is when I set a goal, if I get it done earlier, I, I consider that a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just my own internal drive and like that, what gets you out of bed in the morning to kind of go out, chase things, try to knock the, the list of stuff you want to do. So um, yeah, no, it, financial services wasn't really like what I dreamed of when I was like a 12 year old. But as I got older and I was like, how can I build a business that what I put into it, I get out of it. Um, again, because of running businesses and being kind of like a, a business nerd kind of guy, like I was at school, I studied like a lot of accounting and finance and economics, and then eventually shifted into like some marketing, um, numbers is just kind of, kind of my bread and butter. So it just seemed like too natural of a fit. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. That, 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 yeah. That, that's very, that, that's a very interesting story. So, yeah. um, so when you graduated university, so did, mm -hmm. and you were talking about, you were thinking about going into, let's say banking, the sort of corporate ladder or, you yep. know, doing like a little bit more mm -hmm. entrepreneurial where it's, uh, you know, based on, uh, um, you know, commissions and it's like, how hard you work is, you know, how far you're going to go. Yep. Uh, mm -hmm. so like speaking to like this generation of people, uh, you know, graduates that are coming out of like, let's say Ottawa or Carleton, um, mm -hmm. this degree, uh, how, how, how hard was it for you back then to actually find somewhere like uh, a job that you were looking for and you were interested in? Yeah, that was kind of always the ongoing struggle because like I did the co-op route thinking that would be a tap in job outside of my degree. But the co-op, even though it wasn't in, like, I didn't want to get into that type of industry. It was a complete eye opener being like, I tried what I thought was like, I'm going to get an entry level position, kind of work it for five, 10 years. And then by the time I'm like 35, kind of start getting to that higher level where you start making the money you want and you're kind of happy with what you're doing. But doing the co-ops, I was just like, like, this doesn't really seem for me. And then obviously like going to university, like a commission type of role is almost what you're going to university to avoid because at the end of the day, a lot of those roles, it's kind of like you can just walk into it, but having the schooling kind of helps with that. But yeah, the commission aspect of it kind of scared me at the start. But then as I looked into it more and more, I'm just like, this isn't just a straight off like financial services. You like you have your book or like your business that you ongoing monitor. So it's not like you bring in some investments and you're like, okay, well, cool. We got this like, we got your money with us. We're doing your RSPs. We're doing your tax free. We're doing like an inheritance. It's much more involved. So it's like, even though it is commissioned, there's still that ongoing kind of cyclical nature of it. Like you're not selling uh, again, kind of a like a tool or something where it's just a one-off. So that kind of got me interested in financial services. And then 
as being a new grad, it was very daunting because um, I had some ins to get like an interview, but no person that was kind of like, oh yeah, like you're going to come work with me specifically. Um, so that was definitely nerve wracking. And I've seen a lot of guys do that since. And again, still being young myself and kind of having like at the time, decent, like tenure, like being around five years or so to actually talk to fresh grads. I just said, you know what, man, like you just got to double down on yourself of basically what you know you're good at. So we'll just keep it with financial services. The two big portions of the career is your knowledge base. So like, do you know the industry inside and out, insurance, investments, mutual funds? Like, do you know a lot of information on that where you talk to people and they're like, holy shit, you know what you're talking about. Or it's vice versa, where it's the old school like salesman. Do people just naturally want to work with you? And then you leverage the behind the scenes team where you're bringing like a specialist. Um, so I just like, it's good assessment of your own skills of being like the degree now is kind of watered down. So like, do you want to double down on more schooling that will basically guarantee you like a good job? Or do you kind of know like, Hey, like I'm really good at talking to people or I really like working within a team environment, like kind of figuring out where you're best at building confidence off that. So no matter if it is a low paying career or even you see the route where people are working for free, it just, doing something that you know you're good at, like boosting your strengths basically is kind of my advice to anyone is figure out what you're good at and just hammer away at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that is very true. You know, uh, making your strengths stronger and then, uh, you know, bringing up your, well, your, or uh, I was talking to a guy about this um, and he's, um, he, he runs, uh, what would it be called? It's like, uh, well, he, he helps international students um, get job placements. Mm-hmm. And he pretty much, you know, he figured out, uh, he's, I think, I believe he's 25 uh, around that age. And he, and he figured out what he's good at, his strengths, but he also figured mm-hmm. out what his weaknesses are. And pretty much how, you know, at the beginning, uh, he didn't really know how to like manage them, but he figured out yeah. that bringing people on, he built a team around him that helped mm-hmm. him, you know, brought up his weaknesses so he could just focus on building his strengths even better. So, you know, the oh, stuff exactly. that he's actually good at, he got really good at them. And that helped the like the help the business and then everybody else's strengths, you know, they worked on theirs and you know, it all worked in, you know, a great team. So Oh, exactly. Yeah. So um, you know, uh, let's say there's uh, somebody that's just going into uh Carlton or uh Ottawa, mm-hmm. you know, Ottawa U University and they're looking at the financial path. Uh what mm-hmm. sort of advice would you have for that person that's, you know, maybe thinking about financial planning or somewhere, you know, in the financial sector? Uh, what you know what electives would you recommend taking or what what stuff if, if you had to do it over again what would you sort of say <laughs> to be yeah well to be honest like and that's what I kind of kicked myself in the butt for was like like from a course load wise I probably didn't do as much as like again when you're in university you want to take some stuff that's enjoyable because early on it seemed like I was doing either accounting calculus uh, finance or economics so it basically seemed like I was doing math homework seven nights a week and I yeah. kind of eventually got, it kind of stressed me out a bit, just being like, what the hell am I doing here? But I would say like anyone in a career where it's financial services, like people care about how much they can trust you way more than like what book knowledge you know. So to be honest, I would say like the one class that I almost butchered that lost me my scholarship when I first went there was like psychology. But it's the course that I probably took the most away because from high school and a young age, I was so driven down like the, the business side of things about like, 
accounting and marketing and finance and economics and how things worked in a business and the different levels and yada, yada, yada. But in terms of actually dealing with people, like the psychology aspect of like how people think, what drives them, what motivates them. Like again, in a financial plan, you talk with an old couple, you assume that like they care about like a legacy or giving something to their grandchildren. And you kind of, you have this plan all built out. You start talking to them and then they give you the, like, I hear this a lot from a lot of older people is just, they say like, I want my last check to balance. When I'm in the grave, I want that check to balance. You're like, oh, well, <laughs> that's kind of contradictory to what I was like building up here. So I learned early on is that like, it's just reading people. So like, again, the more involved you are in like, Again, Carleton, Ottawa, you both are great schools. I obviously went to Carleton. A bunch of my friends went to Ottawa, you. A lot of great clubs and like events and committees and stuff you get involved in. Reach out because each of those schools has different areas. Like I know at Carleton, it's the Sprott School of Business. Ottawa, you, it's Telfer. Like getting involved in those events and building a network. So you're dealing with different types of people so that when you do graduate and you get into the financial service, whether it's commission like myself through like the independent route, or you're like doing a, a banking career, like having contact and people that trust you and want to work with you, like that benefits you in all aspects of life, but especially in financial services, because it's usually something when you're going over to someone's house for a barbecue, you don't ask, Oh, how are the RSPs doing this week? It's like, it's not really something you bring up on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah. um, so you kind of want that trust behind closed doors where at the bar same barbecue, someone will be like, Hey man, like, um, just got a promotion. Like we're thinking of having kids soon. Like, um, do you mind coming over some night to like chat about that sort of stuff versus if you're again, like a t-shirt company, you walk into a barbecue, everyone wants to know what the latest and greatest, what you're trying to sell is not necessarily so much with life insurance and investments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Life insurance and investments is sort of a, um, a very personal subject so it's uh, exactly so always being able to bring that sort of like uh, human aspect to the to the conversation is, is really beneficial. exactly so uh, let's actually jump into what you're doing now so, so what are you would you say that you specialize in in the financial planning sector I kind of focus more so on the insurance aspect so like for putting together like my perfect client would basically be someone that kind of wants me to do a full financial plan um, so MDL obviously is the independent firm I work for, um, Gabriel and myself, Gabriel took over his dad's like 40 year practice. Um, so Gabriel's heavy on the investment side and I'm heavy on the insurance side. So basically when people like the quick, the stuff I do on like a routine basis is people buy a mortgage instead of getting mortgage insurance through the bank that has a declining value because it goes down with your mortgage. We look at term life insurance but then when I actually start to I call it having fun but that's kind of from my perspective is like looking at plans for people and basically saying like permanent life insurance options inside corporations so people that have a corp that basically are looking at like tax efficient ways to have their money in there or moving it out of the corp so doing life insurance disability policies critical illness policies um, so again like I, even though I am young I've dealt with a lot of people that life gives you a massive curveball, whether that's a cancer diagnosis, a major injury at work, a major illness, and all that investment work you've done uh, to grow a TFSA and RRSP. Now you're like, but depending what you have through work, it's like, shit, I, I need to start drawing on this now. And I'm only like in your mid thirties. So then basically, boom, you get your health back, you spend all your money and then you're back to square one at 40 
And usually most people that have come out the other end of a major diagnosis like that, their outlook on life is completely changed, which then completely skews everything. So I like to, again, insurance is very boring. They're like for most people, but it has its place where you put it in place for a reason and it completely, again, basically covers your behind. Like, again, that's the whole reason we have insurance, but I build it with that. It has like getting money back options, that sort of stuff. So that it's not straight like, Oh great. I paid for this insurance for 40 years and I'm walking away with a, a handshake being like, Oh, thanks for paying your insurance premiums for the last 40 years. So building, building an insurance plan that it's like, it's a win-win for people. It's like you get sick and you have a lot of money coming your way, which is how insurance works. Or on the flip side, you pay into insurance for your whole career and you get most of your money back, if not more plus growth. So that's kind of my bread and butter and what I like to deal with just because again, I have a bunch of buddies in the same industry and they stick to the investments because the investments are a lot sexier to talk about and to review with people. But I kind of just found it as a niche and I'm very comfortable like talking about it because it does freak a lot of people out talking about death or sickness or like major injuries. But like I work in this career, so it happens a lot more than you think. And every single person that gets a cancer diagnosis a year before that, they were tell they would tell me like, well, I don't really think I need this. So it's, you never want to be the, I told you so guy. So you're just glad that we have it in place in a financial plan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. So, um, so because of COVID, ha have you actually seen like a, like as the insurance side and life insurance, like increased a lot because of, uh, because of COVID or how has um, that sort of gone? A bit. Yeah. So the way our kind of firm is run, we have like a significant client base. So yes, I would say that people are more like their ears are open now. So a lot of people, when they say the give you the line, send me some stuff, I'll look at it before that, before COVID, that basically means he, him or her is never going to look at that. Make a note to follow up in like three weeks, three months, whatever your like follow up routine is. But now in COVID, those same people where I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. They're going to say they're going to look at it. I'm like, I'll make a reminder here to, to follow up. But in three weeks, they'll actually follow up with me and be like, Hey, that stuff you sent me. And I'm like, you looked at it. I'm like, yes. I feel like, feel like a teacher being like, you did your homework. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so yeah, no, it's, it's more people obviously have more time now. So they're actually looking at the stuff that we send them. Um, or if I throw together some insurance options or an investment overview, they actually look at it and like, it's like teachers, right? They, they tell you to come prepared with questions because if you actually do the work and you review the stuff, you're like, mm, that doesn't make sense or I don't know too sure about that. So I noticed that the people are actually looking at the things I send them. So when, when, my, when a meeting happens, whether it's like this over Zoom uh, or it's a phone meeting or the odd person that I do still see in, in, like in person, they actually have looked at the stuff. So it's not me basically like re-going through what I sent them. They're like, okay, on this example, why is the price this versus the same coverage is a different price? And then, so I'm like, okay, I'm like, very good question. And I go into it. So yeah, people are a little more engaged and with COVID, it just like, again, a, a pandemic like this is so, so rare that we've never been through this before. So people do reassess being like, Hmm, if I were to get sick, like, how does that affect? Like if I wasn't off on COVID right now and I was off because of a serious illness diagnosis, would you be able to go on if everything like everything is still open, but now you're at home. So that's kind of been a thing where people's eyes have been open to basically looking at this 
this scares them, but if this was just to them uniquely versus the entire world. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's been a re-up and obviously like social media now, like with Zoom and Facebook time and Google Meet or whatever the Google's, the Google meeting space is called. Those have been people that before would have never tried to like interact over that are now super open. And obviously it saves us a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to that. That's what I've noticed with the, like the first couple podcasts I did was uh, um, they were in meeting. Like, I mean, like in person <laughs> things, uh, it takes a lot of time. You got to bring equipment, you got to set everything up, then you got to take For everything sure. down. Uh, but with these, with zoom meetings, it's like, you can just like, you know, in a, however long the meeting is and like, you can just keep cranking out meetings per day. Like oh, exactly. Per day. So um, yeah. let, let's actually talk about, so, uh, from what you've seen, what, where do people make mistakes in their finances and also in their insurance? Well, the easy one, like again, so when I was like started out, I took over a lot of older advisors that were retiring. I took over their blocks of business and it's honestly just not review. Like I compare insurance a lot to like your TV or your cell phone bill. It's like, if you just pay it blindly for 10 years, a, you're not seeing like what's actually good value for cable well, again, Netflix and whatever. It's like, are you getting good value for what you're paying for? Is it still relevant to like what you were doing? So I say this to basically every client. I'm like, it's a lot easier to spend money than to save it or put it into insurance. And I know it's not ideal. Like most people would much rather have a few extra hundred bucks to go out a couple times a week or to buy this or buy that or go do this with their kids or grandkids. But I, basically say there's a reason that each insurance policy is in place. There's a reason that you're putting this savings away in an investment account or an RSP or you're tax free. Um, so it's just reviewing and being like reminding people like why we're doing stuff because people quickly forget why they're doing stuff. They hear about so-and-so doing this or again, especially in COVID right now, like people are buying like sea dues and boats because they can't travel. So they might as well make the most of what's, what, what's available to them in, the, in their local, local areas. So it's just like reviewing being like, okay, why is this insurance in place? And some insurance, it has like cash value built into it. Or if it's just straight insurance, it's literally just a cost. You basically say, why was this put in place? Okay, go through it. This is why it was put in place. This is why it still makes sense. Or this is why it still does not make sense. And I've said that to a lot of people that like the insurance companies obviously don't like hearing it, but I'm like, we're better off just canceling your coverage and plunk that over into savings. This is again, a lot of older people that have more value built up in their life insurance than the life insurance is worth. I'm like, this worked as a perfect little investment. I'm like, a quick example from the other week is like a client had 50,000 of life insurance, but the cash value was worth 65. And again, he was worried about retirement income. And that's what I said to him. Like, you know what? I'm like, the insurance company would hate for me to say this, but I'm like, you're honestly better off if we take this out, invest it for a few years. And then once you start to need to draw off of it in five, 10, 15 years, I'm like, we're going to have significantly more money readily available than if it was a, like just sitting there in your life insurance and pay out whenever you pass away. And, but that's not a cookie cutter answer. Everyone, everyone's situation is different. So it's more or less just figuring out why you put something in place and is it still on track with the plan? Okay, it's the okay, classic yeah. business thing. You put a five, 10 year plan. You set out your 10 year plan. You'd want to review it every year to make sure you're still on course because then 10 years happens and your one goal was over here and now you're over here. So it's like just making sure that what you're 
all the effort you're doing is actually going towards something because that's just where people that get discouraged and just eventually just say effort and just kind of wash their hands of everything. And then 20 years down the line, they don't really have anything. And they're like, well, I started this and canceled it. And then we did this and canceled it. And just, it leaves a sour taste in their mouth and they didn't really accomplish anything. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so pretty much your advice would be to like, you know, on a yearly basis to review. Exactly. Like, like, you know, you're, you, you, like you review your phone bill or whatever, right? Because uh, like you were saying that it might not fit what you need at that time. And also you might not be getting um, the best price for it because there might be somewhere else that you might get. Because for, for, uh, for, your, for your company, you guys can go to yes. different insurance uh, companies and exactly. sort of find you know, exactly. so, so it, it, It's sort of like a, a mortgage broker, right? Where they can go to different, um, you know, they can go to different exactly. banks and find the best sort of rate for, for what your needs are. So that, Exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, part so, of our, like, part of what, how we like to operate is that that's just it is that we're not locked into one company. So like each company does like, and as I kind of, again, over the years kind of got educated with all the different companies. So like the London lifes, the Canada lifes, the Desjardins, the Manu lifes, the sun lifes, empire, equitable, like the whole shooting match. Once you start to like figure out all these different companies, everyone's really good at one thing. Some of the bigger companies are really good at multiple things. And that's why financial planning for me is like, again, I laugh with my friends, they call me a big nerd, but like, that's why I like doing this because everyone's situation is so different. And each company, like I'll sit through a Zoom or back when it was in person and your brain just starts working where they start describing, okay, for this type of client that's older, not healthy, or this type of client that has a business that has an issue with their succession planning. And it's, your brain is just like going, you're like, oh, I'm, yeah, I got, you start like making a list of people like that applies to him and that applies to her. And oh, that family I was out to see like last summer, I couldn't really think of anything that worked. And this, they're literally describing them to a T in this example. Um, so yeah, that's been huge for me in terms of how I grow. And that's why uh, when I joined MDL, Gabriel said the same thing. He's like, I sit through these other companies, like little pitches or what's new. And he's like, it just thinks you're like, Oh shit. That was if someone I couldn't figure like I couldn't really help them out with anything. And this solution now is like tailored for what they're doing. But 90% of my other clients, this is kind of a waste of time. But for that little kind of demographic or like client sector, you're like, there we go. We finally have a solution for them. Whereas when I started out in my career and I was strictly with one company, you kind of just get the same bias where they're like with financial service, we want to work with lawyers, doctors, professionals. But as we know, like, there's a lot of other career paths out there and everyone needs a financial plan, whether you're like working at an entry level job or you are a doctor. Like it's, again, it just kind of, it skews to what you're doing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that does make sense. So uh, let's actually jump to the, I, I, I know that you, you specialize a lot into the insurance sector, but let's yeah. actually jump to the, the investment and financial yeah. plan uh, side of it. So, uh, mm-hmm. So how, how do you approach like, uh, you know, investments and, and what, what are some investment vehicles that people don't really know about that are, you know, that can bring a lot of value to them and some of the, and some other ones, which are, you know, that, you know, that are not, you know, not the best ones to sort of invest into. Well, like, again, our, our system has been kind of preaching the same things forever, but to be honest, and auto is a perfect example where like, you do have a lot of federal employees that have great pensions. 
So for the last like 50 years, banks and institutions have been pushing RSPs, RSPs, RSPs. But the whole purpose of an RSP is that it's, it's locked in till retirement. But if you have a really good pension, that's going to be almost what you're making through your career, RSPs, people get hit at tax time and they're like, they're like, I'm getting hit with all these taxes to touch my money. Like what gives? It's like, but the years you contributed, you got the tax break. Like, remember when you put this money in, you got the break. Now, 40 years later, yeah, you're getting hit with the taxes. And because you didn't like, you didn't put a, a plan together, you're getting slapped with it. But people that have like proper planning, they realize it. So basically like RSPs are something that if like someone like myself, that you're in business for yourself makes complete sense because you don't have a pension. So you got to take care of your retirement somehow. But for a lot of federal employees, people that are putting their money, like have a, even a private pension or a work pension, like RSPs are something that are slightly overrated. And I'm sure a lot of people will, will tell you that. Um, but then like TFSAs are an instant no brainer and banks do not do a good enough job of basically pitching what it is. Like it's called the tax-free savings account, but it should probably like a proper term for it would be a tax-free investment account because people assume that like a savings account, like you just put it aside, like um, some of the apps that round up your, your purchases to save. But the whole incentive of a tax-free savings account is that all the growth is tax-free. If, again, a relative dies and you just walk into 200,000 bucks like tomorrow, if you put that into a regular investment account, you put it in either stocks or mutual funds or even a GIC, every bit of growth you get gets taxed. But in a tax-free savings account, all that growth is completely tax free. So people aren't really conditioned to being the most risk and risk is on a complete scale for some people. Some people a risk is the fact that they can't touch their money. So it's not under their mattress. Some people risk means investing in the next Shopify or the next cryptocurrency or whatever. So holding your highest risk investments in a tax free savings account has the best place for you to, to invest because you have the most to gain. You keep all of the reward that you get. Um, and then again, depending on each person's type of like situation. So I say TFSA still are completely underutilized by most people. Um, RSPs probably by default have an emphasis. I've done that with a lot of people saying that like, stop, let's stop contributing to your RSPs and put that to your tax free. But the advantage with the tax free is that come tax time, you, we get an, we get their account accountants involved. We do a review and they're like, you know what? It would have made sense to put this into your RSP. Well, if it's in your tax free, we can always switch it over. Whereas vice versa, if you put a bunch of money in your RSP and you're like, yeah, oh, you know what? I got to replace the roof on the house. Can I touch my RSPs? Yes, you can, but there's a significant cost because it's supposed to be locked in until retirement. Um, so that's kind of like, again, it's basic info. So anyone that kind of is in the financial, like kind of knowledgeable in that, that area is going to be like, Oh, they'll roll their eyes at it. But that's literally something that on a daily basis, I'm telling people about tax-free savings accounts. I'm asking people like, why are you contributing to RSPs when you work for the federal government or you have a good pension? Um, but that's just it. Cause it's always, people are always worried about touching their, being able to touch their money. And yes, there's ways that advisors or banks lock it in when it shouldn't be. But then there's also just like accounts that it's like, it's not anyone's decision to, that you can't touch your money. It's like these accounts are set up to protect you against yourself. So that if you're in your RSPs, like, you know what? I want to put 15 grand in pot stocks. It's like, well, this is your like retirement nest egg. Like 
how about we just let it do its thing for another 15 years till you're retired? And like, well, I want to touch it. I'm like, well, it's going to cost you. And then it's like, it's a big blow up. I'm like, no, I'm like, it's an RSP. The reason they have fees is to protect you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that makes sense. So, uh, the, from, so from what I've heard so far is like, it sort of seems like the average age of people that are coming to you, uh, that are coming to financial planners are more on, you know, maybe they're mid 30 to late, you know, late thirties, early forties. That's when sort of the majority of people approach uh, financial planners. So what would yeah. you give your advice to like somebody, let's say if somebody listens to this and they're, you know, 19, mm -hmm. 20, 16 years old, um, and they're just getting to the job market, what, what would you recommend that they sort of look at to, uh, to put where, where they should sort of like, you know, um, I'm, I'm not trying to set it up that like, Hey, it's like, do this exactly. Uh, but mm -hmm. like, you know, like what areas should they sort of look into to, you know, invest their money into over the long term? Yeah. Well, it's a very eye rolling answer, but it's, First off, make yourself a budget. And that's basically my first step when I do any planning for people is basically where's your money going every month and where's your money coming from? And basically go from there to see, A, is there a quick gap to like actually be like to do something with? But it's figure out what you can put away a month and it's those little habits because no matter what type of investment you do, the best thing you can possibly do is just save. If you save for 40 years and get no growth, you're going to be in a very good spot come retirement. But if you save and make smart investment decisions over your career, or even let's say it's like a 16 or 19 year old, that's basically like, you know what? I still live with a few buddies. Uh, I want to buy a house by the time I'm like 25. So let's say it is a 19 year old. That's six years of saving. If you save as if you're paying a mortgage already, we invest it like again with COVID it's, it's a completely different conversation. But when we had a big dip, when COVID started, that's a huge investment opportunity that people could have jumped on. It is a higher level. So you kind of got to go into more detail on it, but there's little opportunities that come along. And if you're actively saving all the time, when these little opportunities come along, you're able to jump on it. Whereas a lot of people I talk with, they're like, Oh really? Like when COVID started, that was the time to invest. I'm like, yes. I'm like, but you kind of want to prep for it so that when it does happen, you attack it. It's kind of like waiting for a sale. Like again, being a sports guy, you want to buy like a new bike, new hockey stick, like whatever. You're like, Hey, I'm not spending top dollar. But as soon as I see an, like, as soon as I get an email pushed at me being like, there's a sale on, you're ready to go. But vice versa, when you're just flyer shopping, like, Oh shit, I need a new hockey stick. And you look at it, you're like, Oh, but I, it doesn't work in my budget right now. Same with investing. It's like getting those habits of just saving, which is very eye rolling. Cause everyone's like, Oh yeah, just save. But that's the easiest thing. Because then when something happens, whether it's like an investment opportunity or someone has a business that you want to jump in on, you got like those habits in place and you have some money set aside that you can make decisions with or a property comes up. Like right now, the auto market is super high. So a lot of people, a great piece of advice is just like kind of bide your time, like keep saving like you're having like you're paying into a mortgage. And then when the markets kind of take a little correction, you're able to pounce versus kind of not being prepared for stuff like that. So it, like putting money in your tax-free savings account, whether it's at a low risk, making you like a GIC level return of like two and a half percent is still better than sitting in your wallet and becoming like a Big Mac or a shawarma or an extra beer here or whatever, or kind of going the full way where you're kind of like invested in the market and trying to hit kind of some higher rates of return that are much better than a GIC. But it's just kind of, it's those habits first 
and then you start to appreciate your money and then you get more kind of invest. You're like, you know what? I've been working my tail off to save this 200 a month, a thousand a month, two grand a month, five, like whatever works into your budget. It's like, you now have a vested interest. You're like, I'm making an effort to save this. I'm not just letting it do nothing. And I'm not letting someone I don't trust, or it's not going into some wishy-washy type of investment. It's like, let's actually like get some traction going here. So it's a very parent-esque thing to say, but it's like getting those saving habits. And by doing that, you just become more invested, like I think it's not invested is a bad word because it work what we're doing, but you just get more concerned about what your money's doing. And then you kind of start getting more interest in it and basically make smarter decisions and you're more you're more involved of the whole process. And then by the time you are 30 to 35 to 40, you've been investing for 20 years. So you know exactly what's going on as kids start coming into your life. Marriages could be your first property. You could be amassing rental properties. Like as you get up to that age, now you've already mastered, like, you know, what's going on with investments is now being like, okay, what's the next stage of the plan. Whereas a lot of people in their forties that you're trying to go through those steps. Now it's pretty hard to, to teach a 40 year old to start saving where they've lived their first 40 years of their life, living paycheck to paycheck. It's just very hard to kind of get those habits instilled. Okay. Yeah. 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 That, 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 that is very true. So uh, pretty much your advice would be, you know, starting those habits younger and building them into saving, uh, you know, putting some into, let's say an investment, you know, uh, mm-hmm. an investment vehicle, but it's also saving some cash for when you have those great opportunities, when the market goes on to sale and you can sort of, buy you know stocks or indexes for you know let's say like, i don't know like 60 to 70 percent on the dollar pretty much exactly it, it's an it's a very eye-rolling and cringe answer because it's like usually that's what it is the easiest solution is usually the, the the biggest fix but yeah like with to add on to that i'm just like putting us like having that second account where there is a buffer where you can't easily access your savings like when people go to an atm and you click checking or savings if it's that easy to touch your savings, a night with a few too many drinks, your savings quickly becomes the tab for the night. Yeah. Having that extra buffer for a lot of people that it's hard to save, I say that I'm like, even if you do a TFSA with me and you don't want any risk, so you basically want 50 bucks put away, you don't want it to lose or grow. Having that buffer elsewhere where you can't easily touch it on a drunken night can make a huge difference for a lot of young people. Yeah, yeah, that, 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 that is actually a really, a really good piece of advice is having that sort of, yeah, like what you're saying is if, if, if it's so easy accessible that you can, yeah. you know, you can just go in and, and save it, like the savings, like it says savings, but savings and checking account is pretty much, you know, when you go yeah. in, it's pretty much the same thing. <laughs> you can just go. It's more like, or less, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so having that buffer zone is, yeah, that, 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 that's a great piece of advice. So uh, exactly. we're actually coming to the end here. So. Uh, what, what would be some other, uh, well, I mean, like, what, what are sort of some future goals for you and sort of the company? Um, and also, what are some new projects that you guys have or, or anything else that's new that's coming out? Uh, well, we're always looking to kind of, like, grow our firm. So whether that's taking on additional clients, um, finding the right fit for our own team, to be honest. Because, um, yeah, like, like I said, Gabriel took over his dad's practice. Um, I was one of the newest advisors he brought on. There was a few other advisors still within the firm. Um, But yeah, we're looking to grow both our client base, people that are working with us that are go-getters. But COVID also, like with what they keep talking about, the the second wave, 
that brings a massive opportunity for investing. So that's one of the things that um, we're kind of like chatting with people about this summer because it's, it's kind of going to be almost a catch 22. If we have a resurgence or a, a second wave of COVID and the markets tank again, that's a huge opportunity for people that are sitting with cash waiting for their moment to pounce or vice versa. If we don't have a second wave of COVID and with how the year's gone and the Christmas season comes and Christmas parties are back and shopping malls are open and people are shopping out the yin yang, the market's going to take a huge boost if we have a massive Christmas. So I'm like, there's two ways it's going to go. I'm like, bad news is good and good news is good. So um, with investing for the fall, there's a lot of opportunity, but we don't know which way it's going to go. Um, but again, it's just kind of talking with people, seeing where they're at, seeing what they're able to do based on how things are going to play out. And then insurance now too is easier than ever because a lot of companies have been forced to do stuff online, which makes our lives very easy. Cause again, people hate answering all the medical questions, but if we can do it over the phone where they're stuck in traffic, uh, again, don't talk on your phone, but <laughs> use that Bluetooth, but like someone's stuck in traffic and we do the insurance questionnaire, like it makes our life easy. And it obviously makes clients lives easier. Cause if you're stuck in traffic for an hour and you can do some rudimentary tasks that you don't really want to do when you're finally home. Um, but yeah, no, just kind of a lot of growth for us. And like everything, even though if life kind of throws you a curveball, uh, still find a way to hit it out of the park, I guess. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, that, that, that's great. So where can uh, people find out more about you and uh, the company? Uh, they can check out our website, uh, mdlfinancial.ca. Uh, um, check us out on LinkedIn. Uh, Gabriel and myself, we don't have a company Facebook page, but both of us uh, find me just Joel Lapier on uh, Facebook. Uh, Gabe's on there as well. Gabriel alone on Facebook. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn as well. Uh, we kind of post a lot of stuff. There is some crossover between like Facebook and LinkedIn, but either or whatever people want to look us up at and we're always open to chat. So uh, send us a link, send us our email, telephone numbers. They're all over our, our social media stuff. So um, always looking to chat with people. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on the show, Joel. It's, it's been awesome uh, chatting with you and you, you gave a lot of value for, uh, you know, insurance and the investment uh, sector. Thanks for having me on. I try. I know some of my answers are a little eye rolling, but it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, well, you can't be too specific. Like, you know, you can't be like, hey, you should choose this stock, at, you know, right now because it's like, it's exactly. just with like, you know, you're just explaining good strategies and good, good habits that you should create to which are going to benefit you. Exactly. Uh, so awesome. Thanks, man. Right on.